All right. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is BJ, and it's my privilege uh, to be one of the pastors here. And uh, it's also my privilege to bring you the message from God's Word this morning. So before we jump in, uh, I would like to pray for our time together. Lord, we love you. And uh, God, we pray that, um, Lord, as we open up your Word this morning, uh, God, as, as we read your Word, Lord, that we would allow it to, to read us. Lord, that we would allow it to, to change us. Lord, we humbly ask that, um, God, that you would open up our hearts. Lord, may you teach us. May you lead us. And Lord, uh, may you convict us. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, I want to begin this morning by asking you all a question. And the question is, how many of you do not naturally have 20-20 vision? Let's see a show of hands here. People who do not naturally have 20-20 vision. Okay, many of us. All right, so, uh, so whether you wear readers or, or maybe you have to wear uh, glasses all the time, maybe you're like me and you wear contacts, uh, there are a lot of people in the room right now that do not have, uh, have good vision. Well, uh, my next question is, how many of you remember the day when you first got your glasses or contacts? Let's see, how many of you remember? All right. I desperately need corrective lenses. I have horrible vision. My vision's like 24,000. I don't even know if that's possible. But um, I have really, really bad vision. So I not only remember the day when I got my glasses, I vividly remember the moment that I first got my glasses. When I was a kid, uh, the doctors told my parents that I had bad vision, um, which was no surprise to them. When I was two or three, I was always bumping into things, you know, tripping over nothing. Uh, I was really, really uncoordinated. Unfortunately, the glasses didn't really help that much with that. But um, really uncoordinated, I would, you know, when I wanted to look at something, I would pick it up and hold it right in front of my face. Or, you know, when I would watch television, which is what we used to call it, um, you know, just stand right there, right in front of it. And, uh, you know, I didn't really talk to anyone that was more than 10 feet or so away because I couldn't see them. Um, so my parents uh, already knew that I had bad vision. But one of the things that the doctors advised is that uh, until I got a little bit older and I had a chance to settle down a little bit, I don't know what that means, but uh, until I had a chance to settle down, that it wouldn't really be worth it uh, for me to wear glasses. So I uh, started wearing glasses um, about the time I started kindergarten. So uh, we've got a picture up here. Yeah. That's what the 80s look like, okay? Don't, don't laugh at me, all right? Every morning before I would go to the school, uh, I had this ritual. Actually, my family had a ritual. And uh, before I would go out the door, my mom would take my glasses away from me. Uh, so I had to hold on to something so I could know where I was at. So she'd take my glasses and uh, she would wash them off. Uh, many of you who have kids that wear glasses, you know that they just get filthy. I mean, they're just disgusting. So... Uh, so she would take my glasses away from me and she would wash them off um, in hopes that, you know, maybe they would stay clean for 15 or 20 minutes. Um, and uh, she'd, she'd give my glasses back to me and I'd put them on. And then uh, I had this little black adjustable uh, glasses strap, okay? Glasses strap. So she would hook one side uh, and then she would hook the other side, effectively turning my glasses into goggles, okay? <laughs> All right. So uh, admits the intensity of the day, they wouldn't fly off. And then the finishing touch, the finishing touch before I would go out the door is she would then take that black glasses strap and tuck it under my mullet. Okay? I, I was inspired by MacGyver when I was a kid. I, I actually still remember in preschool getting in a fight with another kid and getting kicked out 
for the day from preschool, we were fighting over who got to be MacGyver. All right, so anyway, I, uh, I vividly remember the day that I first got those glasses. I remember, I remember the moment. Uh, I remember walking outside of the store and uh, the, the store was a little bit up on a hill and I walked outside and I just stood on the sidewalk because for the first time I could see leaves on the trees. I could see birds flying. I remember looking kind of across this valley and, and about a uh, half a mile or so away, there was a highway and I saw cars uh, driving up and down the highway. I had never seen that before. I was, I was in awe. I mean, getting those glasses completely changed the way that I saw the world. And it completely changed the way that I interacted with the world. Well, maybe you've had a similar experience. Maybe you've had an experience where something came along that completely changed the way that you saw the world. It completely changed the way that you interacted with the world. Well, for the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about the gospel. And the gospel is the good news. The good news that Jesus came to earth and died in our place. And in doing so, in, in, in doing so, Jesus set us free from, from sin and from death. And he made it possible for us to live with him forever. Now you might be saying, Jesus died for my sins. Great. Thank you, Jesus. And, and someday I will be able to be with him forever. Awesome. That's great. But what am I supposed to do with this, this, this gospel message in the meantime? I mean, what am I supposed to do right now? I mean, I, I'm looking forward to going to heaven, but, but what does this gospel message look like day to day? What does it look like when it's, when it's lived out? Well, today, we are going to see how the gospel message changes how we see and interact with the world in every area of our lives right now. We'll be looking at a snapshot from a group of people, a church that was located uh, in the city of Thessalonica. And uh, it's safe to say that this group of people, this church, that they were living out the gospel. Uh, what we'll be looking at is, is 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 1. You'll see some page numbers up here on the screen behind me. And uh, as we read, I want us to notice how important the gospel was to this group of people. It wasn't just a part of their life. The gospel was their life. And it was, it was everything to them. They received it with everything they had. They held on to it with everything they had. And they shared it with everything they had. And so, so let's read. Uh, I'm going to start in uh, verse 1. I'm going to read uh, all 10 verses to you. You can follow along on the screen if you would like. <clears throat> First Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul Silas and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power and with the Holy Spirit and with the deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. In spite of severe suffering, you welcomed the message with joy given by the Holy Spirit. 
And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to await for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from coming wrath. Well, the first thing we need to notice here about the story of the Thessalonians is that they received the gospel message. We have to remember that at one time in this city, there were no Christians. But we, we read in the book of Acts that, that the apostle Paul and others came to this city and they brought with them the gospel message. We read in verse five that the gospel message came to them with word, with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. The Thessalonians received this gospel message fully. And they, they fully accepted it. We could say that, that they decided to, to buy in to this gospel message, that they threw all their chips in and that they owned it for themselves. They owned this gospel message for themselves. We read in verse nine that they turned to God from idols in order to serve the living and true God. They turned to God. It, it's, it's a concept that we see often in scripture and, and oftentimes it's, it's known as repentance. Repentance is this idea of someone who's walking, someone who's going one direction, and then at some point they stop and they change and they go another direction. That's what the Thessalonians did. They turned to God from their idols so that they might, so that they might follow the living and true God. The Thessalonians had turned from idols whether they were literal idols or, or whether they were the idols of addictions or selfish ambitions for money, power, possessions. These people turned their affections and the fulfillment of their hopes, the fulfillment of their hopes and dreams away from earthly possessions, away from earthly institutions, and they placed them fully in God. And we see that they never turned back. The Thessalonians accepted the message of the gospel completely and they allowed it to change them completely. But the great thing is that that's not the end of the story. The Thessalonians weren't the end of the road. Rather, they chose to continue to pass that gospel on to others. They didn't keep it for themselves. They had a new vision and a new mission in life. They shared the gospel with others. In verse eight, we read uh, where it says that the Lord's message rang out from them where it says that, that the Lord's message rang out. In the original Greek, the word is ekakatai, which is where we get our word echo, a sound that resounds and spreads out to be heard further and further and further away from the center. Having received the gospel, the Thessalonian church had no thought of keeping it to themselves. They couldn't help but pass it on. It had changed them. And so of course they would pass on this life-changing message to others. They understood that Jesus's great commission to go and make disciples of all the nations, that that's not optional. They received this message and they allowed it to ring out from them. They allowed this message to echo out to them or echo out from them in the surrounding areas. I mean, we could say today that, that for the Thessalonians that the gospel was going viral. You know, as I imagine uh, what it was like, uh, the image of, of a scene uh, comes to mind. And it's a scene that you often see in uh, most end of the world movies, whether it's an alien attack or, you know, zombies. It seems like all of those, uh, all of those movies have, have a similar scene. And it's a scene that usually takes place in, 
in some kind of like a meeting room or like a bunker or mission control. And uh, usually in the room, you've got, uh, you've got presidents and you've got uh, generals and you've got other leaders and you know, you need to have some smart people in there as well. So there's just some scientists. And uh, at one point, one of the scientists stands up and uh, the scientist points to a big map and he says, okay guys, this is ground zero. This is the, the initial point of the alien attack or zombies, whatever your preference is. And so, you know, this is, this is where it all starts, but they're spreading. This is what it's gonna look like in four hours, in eight hours, in 16 hours, in 32 hours. And after four days, the entire map turns red, symbolizing that we have all become zombies. Well, this is the way that the gospel message was spreading out. Every day, more and more and more people were hearing the message of the gospel and the Thessalonians were right in the middle of it. The Thessalonians were continuing the cycle of disciples who were making disciples. I just trailed off by accident. Sorry about that. It says that their faith had become known everywhere. And the great thing is that Paul was right in the middle of it. I mean, Paul, Paul didn't have to say anything about it. He said, the proof is in the pudding. I mean, these, these people speak for themselves. Nobody had to convince the rest of the city that something was happening. I mean, we could say that First Christian Church of Thessalonica didn't have to put an ad in the, in the local paper saying, we believe in the gospel because it was already visible. People could already see what was happening. And all of this, all of this was taking place despite opposition. We read in verse six that they welcomed the message with joy in spite of severe suffering. The Christians in Thessalonica had suffered physical and economic persecution. They'd been the victims of mobs and and riots. We read in the the book of Acts that, that one man in particular, Jason, was drug out of his home and drug through the streets before he was thrown in prison. The people in Thessalonica, the Christians, were were watching other Christians around them being attacked and even in some cases killed. I mean, we think it's tough when we get made fun of or when we get threatened with losing our tax-exempt status. But these people, these people living in Thessalonica, if you had gone to them, they probably could have told you by name someone who had been killed for following Jesus. And yet here's the amazing thing. The authorities were were trying to stop the spread of the gospel, but the gospel was crossing every social, ethnic, and geographic line. Every place where the authorities were pushing the hardest to try and stop the gospel, the gospel was spreading the fastest. And it's the same way today. Right now in our world, the gospel is spreading the fastest in the places where it's the, the most opposed. For instance, right now, of the 10 countries where the gospel is spreading the fastest right now in our world. Six of those are in the Middle East. The church is growing the fastest in places in the Middle East where the gospel is either illegal, where where Christianity is either illegal or, or it's greatly opposed. Or think about China. In 1953, in 1953, all of the missionaries were kicked out of China and many of the pastors were either imprisoned or they were told to no longer, uh, practice Christianity to no longer be pastors. Despite the fact that the church doors were closed in 1953, there there were about 700,000 Christians living there. 
today? Today, there are between 130 and 150 million Christians living in China. The gospel is spreading at an unbelievable rate. It's spreading so fast that they don't know for sure how many people there are. I mean, they have to give or take 20 million people. That is, that's the power of the gospel. That is the power of the gospel. We, we read in, in verse five that the gospel came with word or, and, excuse me, that the gospel came in word and with power and with the Holy Spirit. I love where it says that, that the gospel spread in power. The word, uh, the word power in, in Greek, in the original language, was the word dunamē, which is where we get our word for dynamite. So I don't know about you. I think it's kind of cool that the gospel was spreading with dynamite. Okay, that's, that's pretty powerful stuff. I mean, there, there was no shortage of power for the task at hand. The message of the gospel, we have to believe that the message of the gospel is powerful. In Romans 1.16, the apostle Paul said, I am unashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. This isn't some little pop bottle rocket. This is dynamite. So we've seen so far how the, the Thessalonians accepted the message of the gospel, how they owned it for themselves, and then how they shared that gospel, how, how the, the message rang out from them. But it would be helpful for us to see just how that message rang out. I mean, let's, let's get practical. What did the Thessalonians do in order to share the message of the gospel? Well, we read that they spread it through actions and through words. In verse three, it says that they were recognized by their work produced by faith and their labor prompted by love. This work produced by faith meant that it was an active faith, a faith that made a difference. It showed. It wasn't just a conceptual faith. It wasn't just an idea on the inside, but it was something that was apparent to those on the outside. You know, today, one of the biggest criticisms of Christianity is that it doesn't really make any difference in the lives of, of those people who are Christians. That someone's life before becoming a Christian, before becoming a follower of Christ and their life after, doesn't really look that, that different. Well, that wasn't, that wasn't the case for the Thessalonians. Their faith was active. Their, their faith was, was practical. I mean, the hungry were being fed. The naked were being clothed. Widows and orphans were being cared for. Things were getting done because of their faith. It also says that, that they had labor prompted by love. This meant long, hard work. I mean, these people were already working a long day just to put food on the table. And yet here it says that, that they went above and beyond. They worked, you could say, overtime in order to share the message, the, the message of the gospel, in order to live it out. Now, one of the things I think we need to, to remember is that these Thessalonians, that these were real people. Sometimes I think we forget that, that when we read that, that we're reading about real people. I mean, these were, these were moms and dads that were, that were scrambling to try and make ends meet. These, these are moms and dads that were working hard to try and raise their kids, trying to put food on the table. They were facing the same pressures and temptations and struggles that we do today. And yet it says that they had labor that was prompted by love. It was, a, it was sacrificial and taxing. It was hard work. But it was, by, it was prompted by something that was worth all of that sweat and blood. The deep, unending, unwavering, unconditional love of God that had been shown through Jesus. Now there's one more thing I, I want us to see. I, I don't want us to miss something that's in verse 5. 
where it says that the gospel came in words and in power. I don't want us to overlook words uh, in that passage. The gospel came to them in the spoken word. And so we can assume that they passed that message on in spoken words. You know, sometimes I think we, we forget the importance of verbalizing the gospel, of, of putting the gospel in words. I think sometimes this unintentionally goes under the disguise of what's known as lifestyle evangelism. And lifestyle evangelism is simply the idea that we can evangelize through our lifestyles. And so, you know, whether I'm at, uh, I'm at Kroger and I'm pushing my shopping cart or, you know, whether I'm, I'm driving or, you know, at the park, I can evangelize the people through my lifestyle. In fact, it's even backed up by a quote from St. Francis of Assisi, who said, preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. I think it'll be up there eventually. Preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. Now, don't get me wrong. Actions are important. I mean, we just read about how important the actions of the Thessalonians were, how, how their faith showed on the outside. But our faith cannot be limited to just actions. Sure, it's, it's great to be generous. It's great to be kind. It's great to be polite. But we have to do more than that. We can't just hold the door. I mean, I've, I've been out to eat hundreds of times, and, and one, of the, one of Mary and I's favorite places to go is, is to Olive Garden over here. And one of the things that I try to do, because I try to be polite, especially when Mary's right there, is that, uh, is that uh, I try to hold the door for people, okay? And so, you know, I'm standing there holding the door over, over at Olive Garden, and, you know, actually that is really polite, because then that means they can get in and get that little buzzer before me. But um, so I'm standing there, and I'm, I'm holding the door, and never once... Never once in the hundreds of times that I've held the door has somebody walked through the door, noticed my kindness, and then fallen to their knees and said, please tell me about Jesus. Tell me about this hope that you profess. I mean, honestly, it's a good thing if I get a, a thank you. The bottom line is that at some point, it will be necessary to use words. We're going to have to eventually open up our mouth and just say it. We can't shy away from intentionally, explicitly verbalizing the gospel because lifestyle evangelism only works if you actually get to. Lifestyle evangelism only works if you actually get to evangelism. In another letter, the apostle Peter says, that we should live such good lives that others may see your good deeds and bring glory to God. But just a few verses later, he encourages them to always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have. So when we feed the hungry, when we, when we advocate for justice, when we extend forgiveness and pursue peace, when we show compassion and love, we are standing out so that then the door can be open for us to give the reason for the hope that we have, which is sharing the gospel. This good news that we have, this gospel, can change the world. I mean, if you think about it, we live in a world desperate for good news. I mean, people look around at the hurt and the pain, and the injustice, 
They look around and they see how so many things seem like they're upside down. And they say, it's not supposed to be like this. This is not the way life is supposed to be. And so they, they sense this void. They sense this hopelessness. And unfortunately, people are turning from one idol to the next, trying to fill the emptiness with one false hope after another. But they never find the hope. They never find the hope found in the gospel unless we will be willing to share that hope. We have been given a new vision of hope through the message of the gospel. Let us share it with others. You know, several years ago, I encouraged us to run toward the mess. Uh, I encouraged us to run toward the mess because uh, naturally we don't run toward messes, okay? So if there's, if there's a mess over there, if, if there's a, a sticky situation, if there's a difficult circumstances, if there's drama over there, what's my natural response? To stay away from the mess, to run away from the mess because it's safer over here, it's cleaner over here. Um, if I go over there, I am gonna make myself vulnerable. We don't naturally run to situations where we make ourselves vulnerable because naturally our goal is self-preservation. But this message of hope this gospel, this good news is shared as we share life with people and as we put ourselves in a place of vulnerability. I encouraged us to run towards the mess and I used the illustration of how uh, several years ago uh, when our daughter was around six or seven months old, she spit up a lot. Like I would come home and there would be spit up dripping down from our ceiling fan. Like it was just, it was everywhere. I mean, it just spit up all over the place. And so um, fortunately, she grew out of that. It would be really, really bad if she still spit up. But um, I, I remember the moment when I saw that she was starting uh, to, to just get that look on, that face, on, on her face. It's kind of like, you know, the calm before the storm. And uh, I remember I was sitting there on the couch and she got this, this look. And all of a sudden, just as she was getting her to spit up, I dove off of the couch with my hands cupped and I caught it. And I remember catching the spit up and the first thought in my mind was, what am I gonna do with this now? And the second thought it was, why did I do this? I mean, why, why did I, what, what just happened? Some dad gene somewhere in me must've just kicked in and I dove off the couch in order to catch my daughter's spit up. That's not a natural reaction, is it? It's, it's not a natural reaction to run toward the mess. It's not a natural reaction to, to put ourselves in a place of, of vulnerability. Now, here's the funny thing. About the time that our daughter quit spitting up, we found out we were expecting twins. So I've basically gone from this to now this. I mean, I'm, a, I'm on double duty now. Hopefully it'll be over soon. But all of that to say, living out the gospel isn't easy. It takes hard work and sacrifice. The Thessalonians chose to endure rather than to give up because they had hope. Hope built on God's promise that there's something worthwhile at the end. They knew that, that soon they would be home with their Lord. But this allowed them to endure hardships and it inspired them to use the short time that they had on earth in order to reach out and share the gospel with others. 
Their sacrifice and their toil was worth it. They had endurance inspired by hope because they were able to see the big picture. You know, sometimes I think it it helps us to to step back and try to catch a glimpse of, of the big picture. You know, if we, if we look back through the history of the church, if we look back over, over our, our Christian history spanning 2,000 years, we, we see that there were some generations, some generations of Christians in some places that did great things to further the message of the gospel. They, they, they did great things to, to further the cause of loving people. They, they fought for justice. They, they fought for what was right. They fought for equality. There were people that, that sacrificed their lives for what was right and for what was good. But if we're honest, we look back and we see that, unfortunately, other generations, they actually did bad things. Other generations of Christians fought for slavery, persecuted their own people. We, we aren't a perfect church. We aren't perfect people. And we see that. We see that throughout the history. There have been generations that did great things to further the message of the gospel. There were times of great faith and action. And there were other times when it seemed like the church missed it. Well, I wonder. I wonder how we will be remembered I mean, when it's all said and done, what will our generation in this place be known for? And, it, and it's not like, you know, we want to do great things so that in, in 200 or 300 years, they can look back and say, man, those Christians in 2014, boy, they, they knew what they were doing. It's not about impressing people. But the question is, when it's all said and done, what was our part in God's kingdom? What was our part in God's mission? How did we spread the gospel? I've been going back and forth all week whether or not I wanted to share this. But I fear that our generation right now, that we could, that we could be known for passive consumerism. That we would gladly come to church, that we would gladly bring our, our families and our friends. But we would say, I want someone else to disciple me. And I want someone else to disciple my kids. And I want someone else to tell my friends about Jesus. I fear that that there are people in our churches today that could go 20 or 30 years without sharing the message of the gospel because that's someone else's job. But that doesn't have to be us. That, That doesn't have to be us. I mean, imagine this. Imagine if 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 could be written of us. Imagine if it could be said that, that for First Christian Church, that the gospel message came to us, that we accepted it with everything that we had, and that we allowed it to change us. That, that our faith, that our life change was evident to those all around us. That First Christian Church displayed work produced by faith, labor prompted by love, and endurance inspired by hope that we allowed this gospel message to, to ring out from us so that more and more and more people could know about the saving love of Jesus. This is my prayer for us. I pray that we will be a part of God's mission of spreading the gospel. 
Because if we look at the big picture and the grand scheme of things, it's the only thing that will really matter. In the end, whether or not we shared the gospel is the only thing that will really matter. How will we see the world through our gospel lens? I mean, how, let, let's get practical. How can we see our workplaces through a gospel lens? How can we begin to see those people that, that we see every day and begin to, to think, man, how, how can I share the gospel with this person? Or, or how can we see our friendships through a gospel lens? How can we begin to, to weave in intentional conversations about faith, about God? How can we see our neighborhood through a gospel lens? Uh, there, there's a group within our church, a Grow Together group, that last summer, uh, they decided to have some block parties up here in Forsyth. And the whole goal of that was to get to know their neighbors, to, to meet their neighbors, rather than just going home and closing the garage door, actually, actually meeting people and, and learning names and learning stories. And it was in those block parties that, that they began to, to really meet their neighbors, that they began to hear their stories of, of where they were coming from. And it's when we hear someone's story that we can then share our story of how God has changed us, of how faith has changed us. And then that opens up the door to be able to share God's story. God's story of how he loved us so much that he sent his one and only son to die in our place. That's true hope. That is the gospel. How will you see the world and interact with it differently because of the gospel. Well, we want to give you a chance to make a commitment to live out the gospel. You'll see in your bulletin that you've got a card that looks like this. It says, uh, I commit to live out the gospel by. And then the great thing is that the rest of the card is blank. And, and this is why. Each one of us has been put in, in a different situation, in a different context, and in different circumstances. God has planted each one of us uniquely in, in, in a certain place so that we might share the gospel. And so I want to ask you to commit. Think, pray, and commit. How will, will you live out the gospel? Or, or another way to think about this is, how will you share the good news? And be specific, be specific. You know, maybe you need to commit to share. Maybe, maybe you know of someone specifically, a, a, a friend, a family member, a coworker that you need to verbalize the gospel for. I have a name on my card here. This is, this is a young man that he knows that I'm a pastor. So he knows that I believe in God. He knows that I go to church, but honestly, I have never verbalize the gospel for this person. I've never straight up just, just told him about God's love for him. You know, maybe you need to commit to go. Maybe, maybe you need to commit to, to put yourself in a place where, where you can share the gospel intentionally. You know, maybe that means, maybe that means changing vocation. You know, I think about, uh, I think about Jeff Osborne, who's, who's the missionary with us this weekend. He he was an engineer for 20 years. And then out of the blue, God called him and his wife to move to Africa. And the important thing is that they answered that call. Maybe God is calling you to move. Maybe God is calling you to, to change the, the way that you see your house, your, your physical address. Maybe it's an opportunity to, 
to share the gospel with, with the people in your neighborhood. Or maybe God is, is calling you to commit to turn. Maybe there's a specific area in your life where you're sending the wrong message. Turn from your idols and turn towards the living and true God. Or maybe until today, maybe your faith has been something that you've kept on the inside. Maybe your faith has always been personal, but, but never public. Allow your faith to be seen on the outside so that others might see your good deeds and turn to God. Where do you need to intentionally go? What do you need to intentionally do in order to live out the gospel for others to see? Take a moment now to pray and commit, write something down. Don't just let this be a good thought, but write something down and take it home and put it somewhere where you'll see it so that you might share the gospel with others. I'll give you a moment now to write. Lord, we, we pray over these commitments, God, knowing that they represent names and faces and, and locations. Lord, we pray that you would give us courage now uh, to follow through with these commitments. Lord, that you would open up doors for us to share the message of the gospel with others. Lord, that you would give us the words uh, to say. Lord, may we be encouraged to know that your spirit, your power, is already present, Lord. Lord, lead us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you would please stand with me now. Uh, we are going to have a time of prayer. And uh, if you want to bring that commitment card forward, we would love to pray with you. Already this weekend, we've prayed with a number of people who have said, I want you to pray with me and for me in this specific endeavor. But also if you have any other need in your life, we would love to pray with you. Uh, please come forward.